Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to Pivot Point. How's it going out there? Hey, thanks for the emails that you send me. I really appreciate when you reach out and um, you know, for those of you who have reached out that I, I email you back. So always feel free. I look forward to all of your comments and uh, your ideas. And if I can make them happen, I will. For those of you who are new to the show, what is Pivot Point? So Pivot Point is a show where we do a deep dive into those who work in the arts and we talk about their lives, how they got started, what was the influence that caused them to say, I want to be an artist and I want to be the artist as a piano player or a singer or an actor or a hand model. I mean, who knew, right? We find amazing events that happen in these people's lives. And it's my belief that as we listen, empathy takes place and community is built and we have encouragement as we go through our own creative journeys. So that's the show. Also, you know, I usually do a little intro, talk about my life, try not to rant on too much. So I'll keep it short today. But let me tell you, it's been a bit of a COVID struggle to, what's the word I want to say? Motivation? Drive? It's not a competitive drive. It's more like somehow... I want to use the word malaise. I want to feel there's like a fog where sometimes you just, you know, the things you want to do, but you just don't want to do them for the craziest reasons. Like they don't make any sense. Like I just don't want to. And they're silliest things. That's what's been happening lately. You know, I love getting together with people. I am an extrovert, so I get energized when I'm around people. We get to talk, have uh, those deep and meaningfuls. That means something to me. Then afterwards, when it comes time to do some independent solo things, I think it's because of the pandemic. I just haven't had that that drive. So what am I going to do about it? Well... For me, the answer is curiosity. I know a couple episodes back, Kristen and I were talking in an introduction about curiosity. So now I am about to rekindle the flames of curiosity. Now, what do I mean here? So this is what I mean. There are a couple of personal projects that I want to do. And I am going back to rekindle the curiosity that drove me to these projects in the first place. And by doing so, I'll be taking one step and then another step. And before you know it, you're back into flow. Now, 
that's going to be my solution because I've got to try something. (laughs) And, you know, I blame it on COVID, right? And I talk about, you know, this malaise. And I think, though, what's really happening is this. And check me on this. Prior to COVID, we were all pretty busy, free to come and go and do, and it, it, you just kept yourself busy, like, you know, revved up, not always on the red line, maybe some of us. And so when COVID hit, we had to slow down and we had to be with ourselves. And then when you're with yourself, you start feeling this discomfort and you start doing a lot of reflecting. A lot of people have made moves. A lot of people have changed careers. And I understand that. So I think there's part of that as well for me where I'm really evaluating because now I have the time to. There is something really important about allowing time to do its work and not always stay distracted. So next week, I'll let you know how it's going. We'll see if my theory is correct. And we'll see if curiosity saves the day. I believe it will. All right. Today's guest on the show, Diana Lanslein. I got to tell you, I've met Diana uh, at SAG, actually. And we were at a workshop and we chatted and um, got to know each other. And she's been really helpful with ideas in my acting career and trajectory. And um, we've just gotten to know each other as friends, but more on a professional level. Today, you're going to hear about this woman's life. She is an actor. She is a hand model. She also has her own company called Emily Rose Papers, which is a company she launched, gosh, 20 years ago, back in 2001. It specializes in creating special event stationery and handmade gifts. There's a lot that this woman has done And I don't want to say much more to give you spoilers, but I had a wonderful conversation with her. And really, it just opened up a whole nother level of understanding of of all of the talent that she brings to the table. So here you go. Have a blast with this. I certainly did. This is Diana Lanceline and I chatting it up. Nice to see you. Good to see you too. How's your day going? Very well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. You look great. I haven't seen you in like, <laughs> gosh, two years? 
Yeah, and I guess it has been about two years. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah. So you're doing well. How, how have you been with the pandemic? What's been happening for you? You know, I, I think the beginning of it was really interesting because the, the nature of it for all of us is, is really just that we acclimate to whatever our circumstances are, right? It's, mm. it's the nature of what we do mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. Things are always changing. And so in, in a strange way, I feel like those of us who are creative for a living were a little bit more prepared for what we're going through. I mean, I don't think anyone could be prepared for how our world has changed. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that the mentality of, okay, here are your circumstances. Now, what are you going to do? And how are you going to deal with it? really came in as something that for some people were that was their first time doing it. Mm. And for many of us in the industry, I I feel like that was kind of like, okay, well, this is another curveball and right. how are we going to play this one? Right. <laughs> how about you? How have you navigated? Um, well, honestly, at the very beginning, it was a relief not to have to do the networking stuff because there were no jobs to be had. And it felt like uh, a snow day to me, only extended. Like growing up in the East Coast, we'd have snow days or weeks because you'd have like a week off from school because you can't go to school, there's too much snow. And it felt like that. Um, and then it just kept on going. It hasn't been bad, I guess I can say as a short answer. Uh, and the details uh, of it, yeah, I kind of I kind of liked the shift. I still like the shift. Um, where I, we've discovered new tools to working together, like Zoom, like Slack. Um, there's other tools out there that allow us to show the movie and the equipment that we're working on to directors who could be living anywhere. Uh, so it's been it's kind of interesting to see this development. There's definitely been a shift. I love what you're saying about the idea, too, that we learn different methods, right? At the beginning of all of this, as you were saying, Zoom uh, is, is one of them, which I know we're doing right now. Beyond that, there are just so many things that changed in technology to be able to facilitate staying in touch. So I think you nailed it when you were saying, like, maybe there's that lift of you knew you couldn't necessarily go after work, per se, because work shut down. But the thing that I think became such a big priority was maintaining the connections that we have and also just staying on top of what was evolving in our business because Mm -hmm. it was moving so quickly that it was really just a challenge to like put in those boundaries. I love that you mentioned working from home because for all the years I've done voiceover, I've traditionally auditioned from home. That's that's never been a question. Like I've done that for over Mm. a decade. But switching it to working from home and one of the things, as you know, that I do is work in group ADR Mm -hmm. to be able to shift where you're now seeing things that you would traditionally use in a studio to be able to see picture and improv with another actor. And there was the added the added element for some of us to, yes, we know how to use some of our gear to be able to record for an audition, but recording with these other parameters is different. So I think there was a real shift in the mindset of who do you stay connected to, what do you learn, and how do you forge ahead? And in the beginning, I think it was just that mad race of trying to stay connected mm. in such a weird way. And I think a lot of people got burned out. Mm. I think it, it also became like, how much is too much, and is it really taking you somewhere? Yeah. But I also think that's part of our creative journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've listened to your podcast. I enjoy your podcast very oh, much. I'm honored you. to be a guest. 
And I think one of the things you've touched upon many times is the idea of how every creative goes through this journey where we may struggle with something and then you have to find a solution that works for yourself in that time period of your life to move forward. Mm. And I think so many of us just really got this all at the same time Mm -hmm. with what's been going on in our community and in our world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So tell me now, let's go back a little bit. Um, I've read your bio and, and we know a little bit about each other. Uh, but were you born here? I was. You I was were. born in New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm first generation American. My parents met in London. My mother was from Denmark. My father was from Sri Lanka. My sister was born in Sri Lanka. Okay. My parents had met while they were both overseas, and they moved to New York. She was raised primarily there. I was born, and a couple years after I was born, in fact, it was just before I was two years old, we moved to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. My dad was an avionics mechanic at the time, and he got transferred to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So my life, for all intents and purposes, I feel like an L.A. native because I've been here as long as I can remember. Wow, that's amazing. It's funny because I was going to say, oh, I can see that New York energy in you. But then, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, but two years is just, it's not a whole lot there. And what part, was it in Manhattan or was it upstate? Where were you? don't know. I was too young to say. I mean, I've looked at, last time I visited New York a few years ago, I did actually look at the, I have a picture mm-hmm. of me standing in front of one of their apartments that they had while they were living in New York. But for me, because I grew up in Los Angeles, I really feel like Los Angeles is more of home. Sure. I do feel like New York is really fast paced. Mm-hmm. And as you will know from my bio, I've traveled a lot. <laughs> and I think one of the things that is so interesting is how different cities will have almost like a different temperature, even within the same state. You know, you can travel to Northern California and it may seem differently paced than Southern California. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's besides how people pace themselves. That's, just the way the city kind of lends itself to a certain kind of development. Mm-hmm. So it, I wish I knew New York better. Maybe I'll still have the opportunity sometime. Maybe. You never know. You may get cast and have to be there for a while. I welcome the opportunity. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> um, and you've traveled to 30 countries, I read. Is that right? Over 30? More than, yeah, yeah, over 30 at this point. That's amazing. Tell me about that. Just like, what's with the wonderlust there? Tell me. Well, I think it started from the fact that my my parents both came from other countries and my dad being an avionics mechanic really played heavily into that because he had just a love of the flight and mm. traveling in general. They were both, I think, brought up where they were aware of different cultures in the world. Mm. And so from a very young age, we started traveling partially because of his benefits, but also because I think they just really wanted to expose us to other parts of the world and Mm -hmm. to have us be educated about different cultures and different places in the world. Um, It it also was influenced by my mom passed away when I was five and my dad really wanted to keep us close to her side of the family. So we started traveling back more often to Denmark and a lot of the European countries, it's it's very common to travel to countries that are nearby. Mm. So that was also part of the mentality was the idea of if, if Sweden's 30 minutes away by hydrofoil, why wouldn't you visit Sweden? <laughs> mm, right. So there, there was a little bit of, of that going on as well. Wow. So I'm sorry, your mom died when you were five. What an impact. That, that changes a life 
quite significantly. I think everything in life changes the way we see things. Yeah. And I, as a child, it's really difficult to process what is going on around you. Mm -hmm. Because as a child, I also feel rightfully so, parents will protect us from what's going on in the world to the best of their ability. Mm -hmm. On the same note, um, since I've lost both of my parents fairly young in my life, my dad was my dad passed away when I had turned 20. I feel like in retrospect, as an adult, the biggest thing it has taught me is an appreciation for the time we have. Mm. And that's because you just never know when things are going to change. Mm -hmm. You really don't. Yeah. None of us have that answer. And it's made me really mindful of how to appreciate the time I have. Mm, yeah. And to appreciate the relationships I have, mm -hmm. right? And and having said that, I do have to say that one of the really wonderful, incredible, beautiful things out of my mom passing away is how much we had family friends, which to me are friends that are my family, mm -hmm. step in and be willing to help and be willing to guide me and be willing to be there for me in a way a family would be. Mm. So I've been very blessed to this day. I still have people who are my friends, who are my family mm. to support me and emotionally and in so many ways that it goes so much more than somebody saying they're there for you. They are actually there for oh, me if wow. I need them. That's beautiful. So that is just something that it, it's never fortunate to lose somebody, no. but when you do, it can go one of two ways. It can become something that you carry with you with the negative things that happen with it, or it can be something where you can see the positivity in the situation. And in my case, I've been so lucky because I've had people with just such love and care surround mm. me throughout my life. And I'm not sure I would have had that the same way. I think that part of what happened was out of empathy, I was surrounded by people who really wanted to share their hearts. Mm. And that still makes a big difference. It's made a big difference in who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So where did the acting idea, this creative side of you, was it from, was your mom creative? Was your dad creative? Where did this come from? Why the arts? That is a really good question. When I think about it, it's my dad that really encouraged us to be creative outside of our work because mm. he was always doing it himself. He would draw, he would paint, he would sculpt, he would write stories, he would share stories with us. And this was in addition to his work. Mm -hmm. And because my mom had passed away, as I mentioned, when I was younger, I didn't know as much about her as a performer mm. or her. I knew she was a talented piano player. I knew she had a great singing voice. But it wasn't actually until many years later when I was a professional performer that her best friend that she had grown up with actually told me about some of her performance history. Oh, and then wow. it was like, wow, I wish I would have known that yeah. because I didn't know that part. But in my in my dad's defense on the, his side of it, he really wanted me to be galvanized to the industry and be able to be a business person. Mm. Because I think as a single parent at the time, his biggest concern was, was I going to be okay? So he really wanted me to learn how to take care of myself and how to manage different situations. And the entertainment industry is classically known for periods of unemployment or underemployment. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to survive that on a business level. Mm -hmm. So um, 
he encouraged both being creative, but also understanding that there's a business involved. Mm. And I, I wouldn't say he promoted me doing it. My mom actually took me to be on a show called Romper Room. <laughs> I remember I was four years Romper old. Room. <laughs> Romper Stomper 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 Oh, yeah, well, see, this is a I can't beautiful remember thing. that. I can't remember what she used to say when she looked into her her glassless mirror. And she would see all the people. And in she the would see all the she people. She would see each of us. Yeah. And my memory from doing that is just, I remember a couple of things. One was they kind of told us, you know, don't pay attention to the cameras. There's going to be these red lights. Don't look at them. Mm. We were just allowed to play. And that's something that I, I've said in other interviews, I'm sure, or I've talked about in my bio a little bit over the years, because it is such an important part of being a performer. And that is the idea, or just being creative, not even being like an on-camera or off-camera performer. In being creative, we get a chance to play. Yeah. And that was really my first exposure and memory of television was being told, here you are, enjoy yourself have a chance to play. Mm. And when my mom passed away, my dad was in, you know, he was a single parent. My mm -hmm. sister was helping, of course, but she was a teenager. So being able to navigate the industry was just outside of the realm of something that was really manageable. I mean, mm. he did a great job of encouraging me to be creative, but being able to have me active in the industry was not something that was in the cards at that time. In retrospect, I'm really grateful for that because when... You fast forward and I ended up being in the industry. It was really nice to look back and feel like I had my childhood. I was well supported. Mm. I had the ability to follow education where I wanted to at the time. I was encouraged in every way possible and brought around to the reality of, like I said, that it's, it's also a business and you also need to understand different things about it. So by the time I started to venture back that direction, I had a little bit of a reality check going of like, do you really want to do this? How mm. are you going to manage these mm. things? Mm. How are you going to, I, if I remember correctly, my dad had told me I could take a dance class at school as long as I had straight A's that semester. Mm -hmm. And that was the challenge. It was like, if you really want to do this, then show me you want to do it by doing something that shows you're putting in the work. Mm. And, and, he didn't teach it to me in those terms. He never said that to me, but that's kind of what that taught me. It was mm. like, if you really want to do it, go do the work. Go mm -hmm. do, show that you're willing, show that you're willing to rise to the level and rise to the challenge and then go play. Yeah, yeah. And so did you go to dance class? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I got good grades. I semester. bet you did. <laughs> I did go to dance. I actually, I had had some ballet training in my youth and hadn't kept up with it for the reasons I mentioned. I think it was really difficult for my dad to keep me in. Mm. And um, I felt so connected to that because my grandmother in Denmark had had ballet in her history. So I do feel like dance and the structure and the mindset is something that I no longer dance professionally because I had injuries and whatnot. That That's mm. just not the path that I continue to take. But it is still a part of who I am, because mm. I feel like there's a saying in the dance community, once a dancer, always a mm -hmm. dancer, because it's your mindset yeah. of showing up, doing the work. And to me, the most important part of that is recognizing that every day and every moment is different. Mm. You can be spot on one day from all your training and moments later, you may not be able to nail that same thing. And that's okay. Yeah. You just keep going. Yes. <laughs> Boy, you just described what it's like to be a trumpet player as well. 
Because you can practice and practice and you get a passage down. And then the following day, it's like, it is as though you've never played before in your life. <laughs> it's just like you miss it. And like the, the consistency is, it's really, really difficult to always be consistent. I wanted to ask you about your trumpet playing because I did a little bit of research because that's in my nature to do so. Uh-huh. And it was it was not surprising that it was originally an instrument used for alerting people, right? To be able to have mm-hmm. these calls like mm-hmm. throughout history. How did you choose trumpet as your first instrument that you really followed in that way? That's a great question. Um, for the audience, you may have heard this before, so I'll try to keep it short. But So I have an older brother. He's two and a half years older than I. And, you know, when you get to that age where you can choose an instrument, public schools are like, oh, what instrument do you want to play? I don't know if they do that today, but my brother chose the trumpet. And um, I have no memory of him ever playing it, ever. But I do have a memory of it sitting in the closet. I mean, I'm pointing right there, but it's not, it wasn't right there. I mean, but that's how my mind sees it. It was like right there. And I just had this feeling that I could play it. You know, it's a rented instrument from the school. They He, he gave it back whenever. And two and a half years later, when it was my turn, I told my parents that I wanted to play trumpet. And they weren't really thrilled about it. They were like, no, we, we already went through this with your brother. And I said, no, I, I think I can really play it. And so they didn't want to rent one from the, tr- from the school. My dad bought this. I think he, honestly, I don't know this for sure, but I think he went to a pawn shop and bought the worst trumpet in the world, like, you know, the most inexpensive. And, um, but I could play it. And that's, that's how, how it started. It could also be that my dad had a lot of records of old trumpet players like Al Hurt, which I don't know if many people know that, but Google Al Hurt and, and you'll hear some amazing trumpet playing. Herb Albert was uh, some albums that my dad had. Um, and my dad, you know, he used to have a lot of Johnny Cash, but I never felt like playing guitar was a thing at that age that I needed to learn. So that's how trumpet playing started for me. And um, the hard thing is, is that I don't always play as much as I want to now. What I love so much about music, and I learned this, I think, along the way, because as a dancer, I began to appreciate music in a different way, to hear the musicality and the timing and understand why something was being choreographed to be able to hit different musical mm-hmm. notes or, or different instruments within the piece. And what I love about music is that it's really a bit of a time capsule. Mm. It takes us back, as you were describing, when you're picturing mm-hmm. the trumpet and where it sat, and that it's it has this wonderful ability to suspend time. Mm-hmm. That is so and true. And I think that's so, like, that resonates with everyone I know who appreciates music, that you can hear a song that you haven't heard for a while, and all of a sudden, it's going to bring this physical memory to what we're experiencing. So I particularly enjoyed that you were pointing to a corner, even though you can't see it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really funny, but yeah, it's like, it was right, like right there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Tell me, did you ever feel like you wanted to move to Denmark since your mother's family was there? Did you ever get that 
sense of I wanted to, I want to live here? Well, I do consider it my second home. Mm -hmm. I still visit my sister and her family and the extended family over there, my nephew and his family. So I do still visit with them and I do feel like it is the other half of my heart. Really to me, we were so connected to that side of our family because of the circumstances we went through. Unfortunately, I don't know as many things about our father's side of the family because he was really focused on keeping us connected to our mom's side. And by the time he passed, it was all kinds of things that were going on on his side of the family that I really didn't stay in touch with them. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I was coming out of being a teenager. I was coming out of being in high school. There were all kinds of things going on. Mm. And I wish I knew more about that side of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but our uh, to answer your question, it is a second home for mm. me. I do travel there. As far as living there, I think because I was always raised here, I... The U.S. feels like home sure, to me. Sure, I lo- Maybe that's why I love tra- traveling so much, is I love to have these experiences of slices of life in other places mm-hmm. and to appreciate wherever it is that I'm local, to be able to meet people who are local, to see what the sites are. But I have to say that I, I think it's just my connection to the performance community mm-hmm. and the experiences I've had here growing up that to me, this feels like home. Mm. Yeah. But I will say it's one of many homes because yeah. yeah, I can understand. <laughs> being able to travel somewhere and really feel like you're at home makes a difference as well. Yeah. That's a gift, you know, to be able to not so much travel, but the sense of feeling at home wherever you go. That um I find that to be remarkable. Um so your sister moved there though. Yes, she did. Yeah. She's been there since as she moved there, I I want to say it was 1984, but don't quote me. She might she mm. might be able to tell you the exact date, mm-hmm. but she's lived there. She, I think because she was a little bit older and because she traveled there, you know, where she could remember more of her experiences of that age, mm. she felt even more connected mm-hmm. than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, it really was a natural transition for her to move, and my dad encouraged it as well. He always kept the mindset that we could go anywhere we wanted, be whoever we wanted, and follow what we loved in life mm. because he had done that himself. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's so interesting because people talk about the American dream and coming here from other countries and how they fulfill that. And in many ways, from my perspective, my parents had a chance to do that. Mm. They came here. My dad was naturalized. My sister was naturalized. Um, they chose to become part of our society and our community and our country. And then for me, growing up with that, I had the benefit of being able to integrate all these different things. And I think that that is one of the things that is part of the American dream, is being able to celebrate who you are, where you come from, what's important to you, and honor those things. Mm. So in in many ways, I feel they got to do that. I mean, I can't interview them myself, right. but I'd like to believe yeah. I <laughs> that think they had that. Yeah, that's a good it's a good thought and it's it's a it's something to hold on to. Yeah, you know. Um, so I'm struck by this that your mom had passed and and not many years later your dad passed and then your sister had moved. So here you are in the country in this in the United States by yourself. How did you navigate to even start getting into acting and in pursuing your creative expression? 
Well, it was through a series of different events. When I went after dance training, I was also, I used to work a lot of temporary jobs when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that reason was we were always encouraged to experience different things before we'd say whether or not we were committing to them. And during the course of studying in the business and also experiencing all these different jobs, I was working a job and somebody said to me, oh, you should try pageants. There's a local pageant. People are in the entertainment industry. It would be fun to do the competition. They had like a whole series of reasons of why they thought I would be good Mm -hmm. at doing that. And I honestly, at the time, didn't know a darn thing about it. Uh Like I had no idea what was involved in the competition or anything else. So my introduction to the people who launched my career in my teens to 20s was really through that. Mm. I've, I've mentioned him before. There's a choreographer named Alan DeWams, and he and his family and his partner as well, they all surrounded me. When my father passed, they immediately gave me an environment in which to grow in that area mm. because they were both working in that area. Their whole The whole family was working where they were exposed to the entertainment industry. So my re-entrance into it was really not something I had planned. Mm-hmm. I'd always feel, felt drawn to being creative And I'd always thought, well, that would be interesting, but I hadn't really formed a plan of here's how I'm going to go at it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the the, um, course of saying, oh, I'm studying this. And then after I get my degree, I'm going to do. And I think that's wonderful when people have the ability to do that. I really respect someone who makes a choice and can do that and go that route. It was just different than my experience because of what I was going through in my life. So again, it comes to travel and it comes to having a wonderful group of people who were supportive. And that to me was really the cornerstone. It wasn't Mm. so much a choice. I feel like the industry chose me. Mm. And I feel like that was because the people I knew in the entertainment industry became my community and became my friends who were family. Mm -hmm. And they really surrounded me in a time where it was surprising in many ways what I went through during that time, which uh, we, we can always touch on another time, mm-hmm. but it was it was a, a catastrophic loss. And sure. I suddenly had people around me who were willing to say, well, what can we do? How can we help? How can we, you know, just even if it was just to make me laugh over something silly because I was going through the grief. Mm-hmm. So that to me is is why I ended up in this industry is because I was so supported by it with the people I met and how much of themselves they shared. They shared their own vulnerability, their own Mm -hmm. skills of how they would go through that. And that really helped me feel like I was grounded and secure. I wouldn't have said that about myself at the time, Mm -hmm. but I can see now that that is what really helped me feel grounded and supported. Mm. And our, our family had friends too. There's dear friends of ours, the Rossetti family, that there was a year my dad was working overseas and I lived with them. And they also encouraged creativity on a level that at the time, I don't think I knew I was so driven to be creative. One of the family members, Stephanie, their daughter, mm-hmm. Stephanie, when I was when I was living there, I didn't remember that she told me that I used to do things like I would sing and I would do these things that now seems so natural to me because it's just part of expressing yourself as creativity, mm-hmm. being able to, um, I was encouraged to learn. I learned how to play ukulele. Please, please don't ask me to play unless, <laughs> you know. <laughs> ah, I love that. 
And but the real the real thing was is just to tune into the idea of being creative. Mm-hmm. So I'm not nearly giving as many people as deserve credit credit for how they really help me to become who I am. Mm. I also feel like that list is ongoing. Sure. I feel very, very blessed mm-hmm. and so grateful. Mm. I, I have so many people in my life that are creatively inspiring on so many levels. Mm. Some are in the industry and some are not. Do you feel that you've been able to tap into that that part of your own expression and and exercise that because as an actor you have to put in uh, you have to portray a character and even in improv you're portraying a character or an archetype but there's also that inner creativity the thing that says oh i want to express this so we're not always able to do that in roles that we play um, or for a job so are there other creative endeavors that you do that allow you to do that expression? The thing that says, I want to say this, not necessarily in words. For me, it's also observing what's going on in life. Mm. It's taking a moment to listen to your environment, to watch people around you, and to appreciate why they're different. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people I can think of as examples that are are friends of mine that would make a different decision than I would on how they would handle a situation. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. It allows me to have different perspective. And I think, you know, you're mentioning being able to improv and bring life to these characters. And I think at the center of any character, it's what is the humanity that's going on? Mm -hmm. What, What transition is this person navigating at that moment? And it can be simple and it can be complex. It really depends on the environment in which you're showing that character. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody in everyday life and it's facilitating this story moving forward, like for an example, in doing group ADR, we're voicing the characters who are traditionally, they're not voiced during the the filming of the piece because it's for audio purposes, as you know, but Mm -hmm. whoever's listening, if they don't know that part. Mm -hmm. So we are hired to come in and give those people their voice. And you are improvising the dialogue. Very often you're seeing something for the first time and you're quite literally putting the words in someone's mouth, imagining what they might be talking about at that moment. And I think one of the things that I really value as I've moved into that, like as I've done that, over time is just really listening to what people talk about. Like going and sitting in a coffee shop, you don't always talk about coffee. No, 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 no. You never talk about coffee, really. You talk about life. You talk about your own life. So yeah, absolutely. So I think that the power of observation and listening gets underrated. Mm. You know, we're having a conversation, so it's easy to have a back and forth and talking, but sometimes just going somewhere and sitting and being and being aware of what's going on for other people is what helps me understand why people would do things differently. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I mean, it, it brings more to my life to see something from a different you know, perspective. I have no problem being opinionated. I have no problem <laughs> speaking my mind. <laughs> that is a given. However, <laughs> I'm also really open to exploring other ways of looking at something because we can get really narrowed in our perspective at times. And mm-hmm. that's what friends are for. Mm-hmm. They're there to say like, hey, have you thought about it from this direction? Yeah, yeah. So 
And I say pick your friends, you know, based Wisely. on what you want to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny to have a friend who would really speak truth to you is rare. Someone to just be able to say, um, maybe think about it from a different angle, like you just said. That's hard to find someone who's willing to take that that risk in the friendship. But if you had someone like that that you could trust, boy, oh boy, what a, what a gift that is. Well, I think it's also a willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's a really scary thing sometimes to be vulnerable and to open up and to share details mm-hmm. and to be willing to go and revisit things in your past or to look forward to things in your future. And that can be something that for some people or at different times in our lives can be very scary. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very real part of being um, a performer. I don't even really want to call it. I mentioned this before. I don't really love calling it a performer. I really think we're all storytellers mm-hmm. and we're all creative storytellers because my experience is most of the people that I know who are working both on and off screen, they are giving everything they're doing an emotional tone by what they're contributing. And we are very much a collaborative group mm. by our nature. Mm-hmm. So to me, we um, all bring something that we bring to that experience. Yeah. Right. And the more authentic we can be when we do it, the more interesting that piece becomes. Sure. That's just my perspective. No, I already I mentioned I'm opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> We're all, we all have opinions. Um, a couple of questions that just popped into my head. Uh, well, maybe one's more of a statement. You talk about vulnerability. I find that the more vulnerable and open we can be, not just in what we do as a creative, but just in our own life, the I think maybe it's like this. There's more meaning in life when that happens. There has, there's more connection. and um, And then you become more practiced at the vulnerability for for some odd reason when we start doing any kind of artistic expression we tend to clench down on that vulnerability and maybe it's out of fear maybe there's a number of reasons but i think the more vulnerable we can be in our life the more ease we'll have as we enter into that expression as well with that said has there have there been times where you just really felt that making it as an artist, as an actor, um, hand model, ADR, things were just not going to happen? Did you ever get to that point of going, I got to figure something else out? I think that there's always ways to supplement what you're doing. You mentioned earlier, there are other things I do to be creative. And I think I say this here and there because, you know, I always say when you're a creative person, you must create it, Mm -hmm. not even just as a responsibility, but more so because that's your way of connecting to yourself is to be able to tell these stories, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing we have, and I'm constantly working on it, is staying connected and feeling grounded in who we are. Mm. It's a constant process. It is never finished for me. Yeah, There are always ways I'm learning. 
I look forward to learning. I learn from people I speak with through the course of the day where we have a conversation and I'm learning from our conversation today. I will take things out and reflect on them and go, gosh, love that moment. Mm. And that'll be when it applies to something where I that's a usable moment. Mm-hmm. So I think beyond the responsibility of being creative, once you have a talent for something and nurturing that talent, it's also the idea of being able to stay connected and grounded within yourself and find those things that do that. Mm-hmm. So that may or may not be the job. Mm-hmm. To me, a lot of the work we do in creating is in between the time we can celebrate what what I would call commercial success. Like, of course, we want to be paid for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We put a lot of time and money and we spend a lot of time making things look easy. Therefore, people think things are easy because that's part of our job is to make it look effortless. That being said, I think there's a lot of effort that goes into looking effortless. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and those times can be really challenging. I think it's something that that not a lot of people talk about. It's easier to talk about our successes and celebrate them and focus on that than it is to talk about the times that could really be a struggle because in order to talk about that struggle, it's exactly what you were saying about having that willingness to be vulnerable and revisit that. But to me, the component is, is to recognize that that may have been what happened then. That doesn't mean that's how things will move forward. Mm -hmm. We always have a choice in how we're going to move forward. Mm -hmm. So those past experiences may inform us how we operate well, but we always have the choice to change something. And that is also choosing people who support you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I mentioned earlier that I have a wonderful support group and one of the people I, I love so much. She's been like a mom to me this entire time um, since my twenties is Virginia Montero. She's an actress as well. And she had started acting young young in her career, stopped acting to have her family. And by the time I became part of the family, she thought about returning to it. She'd still done theater and done other shows and she'd kept her talent up, but mm-hmm. she hadn't really pursued it professionally. And at the time, recycling was just becoming popular. So I came up with a, the joke on the idea of like, why not recycle your career, right? right? right. And she went back into her career. She works more than I do. She's working on <laughs> wonderful, recognizable shows. And she just turned 80 this year. Wow. So what's really phenomenal to me is I have firsthand witnessed mm. somebody deciding to go back to something that was a true passion and a big part of their lives at, at a time that maybe people wouldn't have said it was conventional to do so. And it's so beautiful beyond how much I love her to see her still be excited and do these things and get out there and be able to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So I also think it's really nice to have people who break the mold. They go for it anyway because Mm. it's their passion. Mm -hmm. And when you have even one of that in your life, I I feel like that's really fortunate. Oh my gosh. Because then you have someone that has shown you that, yes, there are rules and there are protocols and there are reasons that 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 is in place. There are reasons for those guidelines. It's generally for safety. Beyond safety and beyond what is commonly polite and what is acceptable is like, this is why these parameters are there. It takes so much courage to step outside of that and to really just do it because you love it. Mm -hmm. And to me, those are the people that... I look to when I'm having a hard time, I look at 
what are they doing that I'm not doing? Mm. You know, what what is it they're practicing in their life? So with Virginia, she has a number of things that she participates in that bring her joy, that keep her connected to her community. And some of that is going to church regularly. And that's something I, I really find valuable because she's created a system for herself that sustains her emotionally. It sustains her spiritually, which we all come from different things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever does it for you, if you can connect to something regardless of what that is. For some people, it's even just physical movement. It's having a regular yoga class Mm -hmm. or it's having something where you go and take a walk. It's just having that space in which you allow yourself to reconnect. Mm. So she's somebody I find very inspiring and will always find very inspiring because Mm. of her approach. Tell me um, what you're saying about connecting and grounding yourself is so important uh, it's something that I can say that, oh, I don't know if I want to say I struggle with it, but I certainly recognize the need for it. What are some of the things that ground you? That is an excellent question because it, it depends on what I'm going through at the moment. Mm. You know, sometimes it's the ability to step away from something and just have quiet time. Mm-hmm. That quiet time can be sitting with my dog and mm-hmm. just appreciating hearing my own heartbeat, hearing you know what's going on in the room, as I mentioned, just mm. being observant of your surroundings. It's really hard to have a terrible time when you've got a companion animal who come in and just have joy for that moment. Yeah. So sometimes it's just breaking that pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you have a tense conversation with someone and then somebody says something that's funny and the, the laughter breaks the mm-hmm. the harshness of the room mm-hmm. and then everybody exhales for a minute and they decide, oh, okay, now I can go further with this or I'm going to back off the subject because it's so co- uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. But having that moment of laughing and breathing is so important. And I agree with you. It's not always easy because... To me, being creative and putting yourself on the line and being vulnerable and doing all those things is exposing yourself emotionally in a way that you're really opening up your heart, mm-hmm. however you're doing it, however you're telling the story. Um, and and to me, it's regardless of where you are in your storytelling. I, I see it in everyone I know that's creative. Mm. They open their hearts, their souls, their experiences, and they let people in in order to shine a light in some of those areas. And some of those areas can be very dark. So sometimes journeying to that area to recall those emotions can put us in that cycle. And then add to that the idea that for most people, creatively, when you're going to make a living at something creatively, you hear no more often than you hear yes. So it's it can be like, navigating a minefield, my thought is, is that it's really good when you can remind yourself or have a friend remind you or someone in your life remind you that the no is just not right now. It's just not the time right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're not going to get there. And then success is is really, everyone defines it so differently. Oh my God. I mean, you can look at outside yeah. of our industry. For example, you and I have worked in our industry and it's easy to fall into the imposter syndrome of, and I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not spouting any like, you know, quotable knowledge here. Uh-huh. I'm just saying it's disclaimer, it's, it's, disclaimer, it's, disclaimer. <laughs> no, I, I'm like I might play one on television right. and then I'll research it really well. But <laughs> in the interim, I'm just saying like it's my observation that in in doing this, you know, it's it's this thing where you have to constantly be willing to reprocess 
and recalibrate and these things come at you and it's like, how do you deal with no all the time? Mm. And we do tend to hear that. And what I was saying is, is that what's really helpful is if you have something or someone that reminds you that the no is not permanent. Mm -hmm. And then there's another level to that. It's not creating the, uh, I'm going to rewind and, and say it's creating language that enforces having positive things in your life, mm. which is why I took the not out of that. Right. I have to stop myself. Yes, yes. From saying, this is challenging, this is, and, and not to discredit what people go through. We all go through it. It's part of the journey. You, it's impossible to go only down one path. We have to have both in order to have balance. And yeah. the balance will sometimes be off. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier where I said, you know, as a dancer, you can go and you can train, 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 and you have that moment. And sometimes you can stick a turn and other times you'll fall right out of it. Mm. It doesn't mean that all your training is worthless. Mm -hmm. It just means that at that moment, that's not the moment that that's going to happen. Mm. Will it happen moments later? Try it again. Yeah. Why not try it again? You have a saying that I really like that you close your podcast with. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. Why not you? Yeah. Why not? Somebody's doing it. Why can't it be you who's doing it? I also think that comes with, and this, this is something I think we should talk about. That also comes with having, <laughs> right. well, so here's something that I think is, is a lot of people who are new to our industry or approaching it for the first time, there's a lot of mystery around it because as I mentioned earlier, we have this ability to make things look effortless Therefore, people think it's effortless. Mm. So I think there's also something to be said for creating a plan for yourself and, and making it intensely personal where you set your own goals and your own timeline and revisit that course correct. Decide if it's still right for you. Mm. Our lives, I've listened to your story on your podcast and I'm so glad you've shared it because as we navigate life, things happen. It's not just about us as individuals. We're a community. We have families. We have people we love. We have people we don't want in our lives. There are all kinds of things that we have to navigate. Mm -hmm. And as we navigate those things, it's really self-serving, but really necessary to pause and look at it and say, is this getting me where I want to go? And if the answer is no, then what can I do to course correct to go where I want to go? Sometimes it's hard to have that perspective because desire can skew perception. And it really is helpful to have someone else in your life to help with the perception. And I want to go back just a little bit and just ask about the negative self-talk that we all battle. Is it something that that you have to battle. And if it is, what do you do to get out of that cycle? Yes, I have to battle it. I, I want to be honest in saying that we all have, I, I would imagine we all have that to mm -hmm. some degree. It's dealing with fear. It's the, mm -hmm. It can be the fear of success. It can be the fear of failure. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, when you do want something so much, then when you're not getting what you want, there is that you're allowing that space for that to creep in. Mm -hmm. 
It's true. <laughs> and I think it's natural to do so. Yeah. I think it's part of our emotional makeup. I mean, if everything were happy, then we wouldn't know how to navigate in between. Mm-hmm. But when you have a high and a low, then you have a little bit of a better idea of how to navigate. So, yes, I think I think it's something that almost everyone I know goes through that's not just that's creative, just in the human experience. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you said it earlier, I surround myself with people who inspire me. Mm. I find friends in different areas with different perspectives. Not everyone I know is in the same lane. You know, I choose friends to bring things to my life. And my hope is that I'm bringing something interesting to theirs. It's a two-way street. Yeah. If it's not a two-way exchange where we can be supportive of each other and be thoughtful to each other and help each other through that, then it's not a true friendship at that moment. You know, Mm -hmm. to me, friendships also can have a lifetime, Mm -hmm. just like our own lifetimes. There are people who come into our life, teach us something, and then they go to teach it to someone else. Mm -hmm. So I also feel it's like, you're right. It's having that perspective by surrounding yourself with it. And then we touched on self-care. I think self-care gets a bad rap sometimes. People say, oh, if you take a time out or you take time off, you're being selfish or there's Mm. language that goes with that. Yeah. And I think sometimes the problem is not the person. It's the language that's been accepted. I think for a long time, people thought of artists as starving artists. It's very common saying to say a starving artist. And I don't like to perpetuate that because artists don't need to be starving. No, You can be an artist and not make a living at it. Mm-hmm. And you can you can enjoy it for what it is. I mean, I, I think we sometimes attach these through what we've learned growing up, what we've heard around us, we attach this meaning to it. And the challenge is is really just to detach from that meaning and create your own meaning Mm. and be able to say, okay, that might be someone else's experience and I'm choosing that my experience is going to be different. And I don't don't think every moment is easy. I, I think that there is, you know, certainly when I look at the course of my life, it can be looked at both ways. You can look at it as very tragic or you can look at it as very fortunate. It's like, what am I looking at that day? What a wonderful thing to say. Um, what a great observation. Uh, and I think self-care is never taught. It wasn't taught in any of my schools. And in any kind of creative endeavor, because of that vulnerability because of the exposure um, of self to the world, learning how to self-care, positive talk is so important. And surround yourself with right people, like what you're, you're doing in your life, is so very important to your own survival as a human being. I'm I'm really glad we talked about this today. I'm really yeah, this is really really great. Um, I'm looking at the clock, and I see we have just a wee bit time left. So I want to ask one last question as we wrap. And I, I I kind of feel like we could keep on talking for hours here, but <laughs> let's see if I can get my sentences straight. Go, go for it. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> what would you say now to the younger self, to the younger you? Don't change a thing. Wow. Tell me more about that. That's beautiful. I, you, people, you can't see her face, but she's glowing and smiling. And that tells me that there's some 
beautiful moments that has happened in her life. And yeah, you so, can't see it, but my eyes are misting as well because yeah. it really, when that was said, it really reaches my heart. Mm. It, it's far too easy to look back and think if this had happened, mm -hmm. this would be different. And that is true. When, when something changes in our life, it does affect the course of our lives. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, mm -hmm. it's something meaningful that changes the course of your life. But when I think about looking back to being younger, that person is who I am today. Mm -hmm. That person's still there. I hear people reference, you know, the messages we get as a child and the things we hear about ourselves. And I think that is really powerful. We do get told things that we form our beliefs and our systems around from the language we receive. And when you said that to me, I thought, what if I changed this in that snap second, I could think if I changed this, then it would change these other things. Mm. And I don't want to do that. I want my life to be what it is to appreciate what I have and to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And if there are any things that I regret, then I have an opportunity to revisit what I would do differently now. Mm. That is really wonderfully said. You asked a, a question that I had no way of expecting, but it absolutely resonates for me. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for being on the show today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our time. Really great. I've enjoyed it as well. You were saying we didn't know each other that well when we started, and I feel like I know you so much better now. <laughs> <Yeah>. That, <laughs> that plus the episodes you've been sharing, you've had yeah. some really wonderful guests, oh, and I, I would you. love for people who are listening to check out your other episodes as well. So there you go. What an amazing human being, and what a journey. What moved me, and still does, is when I asked her, you know, what would you say to that eight-year-old girl, that, that younger self? And when she said, don't change a thing, wow. That still gives me goosebumps, even as I just said it now. Diana, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really glad we're friends. I'm really glad we had this conversation. I'm really excited to see what's coming around the corner for you. Everybody, check out her website, dianalanceline.com. Her last name is L-A-N-S-L-E-E-N. -E check it out. Okay, next week on the show, how many of you know the name Frankie Previtt? Or how many of you remember the film Dirty Dancing? Or what about the song Time of My Life? All right, that's all I'm going to give you. You'll know more next week. In the meantime, as always, take care of yourself. And remember, if she's doing it, why not you? <laughs> <laughs>